The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Well, good morning. How are you this morning? Everybody doing good? Good. Can you believe it's hailing outside? Was it hailing when you came to church this morning? Yes, hail in Southern California. The sun is also out at the same time. How about that? That's awesome. Hey, we're glad you're here today. Uh, So many exciting things going on in our church right now. If you've been around here for a while, isn't this an exciting time? I mean, God's so good to us. A lot of great things going on. We're really, really pumped about. But we're going to jump into a time of, uh, of looking at the Word this morning. If you happen to bring a Bible, Luke chapter 8 is our text. We've been in a series called Basic Training, and Jesus has gathered people to Himself. He's teaching them what it means. He's talking about the basics of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so today we're going to be in Luke chapter 8. You hear the hail? You hear it? <laughs> Crazy. Um, well, you know, as I'm watching the uh, announcements this morning and just hearing all that's going on, next week we uh, go from being one church in one location to one church in multiple locations, and it's just a really exciting time. And so over the last few months, as we've been prepping and running towards that, it's been kind of a reflective time for me and, and Tyler as well, and just thinking about where we've been and what God's been doing here in the last few years, and really just thinking about the last 20 years of ministry for me personally. And there's highlights, and then there's just a few lowlights. And before we planted a church here in Los Angeles, I was in youth ministry for 14 years. And sometimes in youth ministry, the highlights and the lowlights can be juxtaposed, like literally minutes uh, apart from each other. And so as I've been reflective over the last few months, I've been thinking about how good God's been over the last 20 years. And there's a lot of things that I laugh about in ministry. I was thinking this week about one specific thing that happened several years ago in youth ministry. Our middle school pastor was running a crowd game. If you ever been in a, middle, in a youth ministry environment, um, he was running a crowd game and the crowd was getting into it and they were cheering and the excitement was blowing the roof off the place. It was awesome. And part of the game was drinking, like taking a sip of a hot sauce, of hot sauce. And so everybody's going crazy. And the middle school pastor is so into this. He looks at the kid and says, if you drink the whole bottle of hot sauce, your team wins the game. And the kid drank the whole bottle of hot sauce. And it was awesome. The place just blew off. And it was amazing. We laughed about it. And then the next morning, he got called to the pastor's office. And it wasn't funny then. But, but just so many highlights. But then as I'm thinking about it, I'm really thinking about this passage this morning. There, there are some moments that I think about over the last 20 years of ministry that are sort of the opposite moments. And I think about people in ministry that we've invested into. There are moments that I'm grieved and Moments when I think about students that were in our youth ministry who were part of our our leadership team, and they came to church every time the doors were open, and Jesus was a part of their life, and then they went off to college, and post-college, Jesus has no relevance in their life. I'm grieved by those moments. I'm grieved by the moments that I think about the football players that I used to invest into every Tuesday night in Bible study. And they would begin to show up and they would begin to bring their Bible and they would start bringing their friends and, and then they graduate high school and they go on and now Jesus has such little relevance to them. I'm grieved by those moments. I think of small group leaders who used to invest the Bible into students every single week. They would show up every week. They would prep every week. They would teach the Bible every week. And now because life has just happened and there's so many other things going on, they, they just, you can't even find them in church. And I just think about those moments, those, those moments in ministry that I'm grieved by. And I ask myself, what happened? What happened? How do, you, how do you hear the Word every week? How do you teach the Word every week? How do you sit under the teaching of the Word every week? 
and, and even be enthusiastic about receiving the word every single week. And then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, years later, Jesus and the Bible has no relevance to you now. How does that happen? I think about that often. And amidst the falling rain here in Los Angeles, Jesus is going to tell a parable in Luke chapter 8 this morning about how that happens, about how people can sit under the Word and hear the Word, and then for whatever reason, they fall away. He's going to talk here in Luke chapter 8. He's going to talk to the crowds. We've seen that if you've been in this series. He loves talking to the crowds. He's also going to talk to the disciples. Now listen, one of the disciples that's going to be in, 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 this, in this congregation, if you will, as Jesus is teaching, is eventually going to walk away from Jesus. And he's going to talk about what it looks like. He's going to describe four different responses that people will have whenever they listen to the Word of God. And so I want to preach a message today titled, Falling Away from the Word. Now, I realized this morning as I said that, I don't know why I didn't register, it didn't seem like the most encouraging sermon title, but I want you to be encouraged. I want you to have God's best for your life, and I hope you'll be encouraged by the time we get to the end of this passage today. Falling Away from the Word, starting in Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 1. And this is what the Bible says, and after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, and what was he doing? He was fulfilling his mission here. What was his mission? Well, the Bible says, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. That's what he did. And who was with him? The 12 were with him, the scripture says. And also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Now, just pause here just for a moment. I just, I just think it's cool that Luke mentions the, the prominent role that women played in Jesus's ministry. Now, in 2020, that may not resonate with us as much, but we understand that in this day, women could not even be trained by a rabbi. And the fact that Jesus has women who are following and he's teaching and instructing, it just, it just is a reminder that the scope of God's love, the scope of his gospel reaches everyone. It's available to everyone, men, women, boys, and girls. Verse 4, while a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. This is the first soil. He's going to talk about four. And it was trampled on, and the birds ate it up, verse 6, and some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Verse 7, other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed, and here's the last soil, fell on the good soil. It came up, and it yielded a crop. Listen to what he says, a hundred times more than was sown. And when he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And then his disciples asked him, Jesus, what does this parable mean? And he said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you, but to others I speak in parables so that those seeing they may not see and though hearing they may not understand. Now here in just a moment, I'm going to get to the explanation of what these four soils mean and, and how they apply to us. But I want to pause just for a moment, and I want to focus on two words. I want to focus on seed, and I want to focus on the scattering of that seed. Verse 11 says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the Word of God. 
The seed is the Word of God that he's talking about here. And the seed is being scattered, what we see in this passage, in all kinds of places. Now, the sower in this passage, and even today, the sower of seed is anybody who teaches the Bible. I'm a sower of the seed when I teach and preach the Bible on Sunday mornings. You're a sower of the seed if you teach the Bible to your kids. You're a sower of the seed if you're a community group leader and teaching the Bible. You're a sower of the seed when you teach and preach the Bible. And so Jesus explains here in this passage that when the word is taught, there are four basic responses that are represented by these four soils. Now, it's interesting. It's interesting here that the seed is being scattered in so many different places, it's being scattered in all over the place. It's not being spread only on the type of soil that we just know. This is fertile land. There are places in our country where, you, where, you can, where agriculture thrives. There are places in our country where agriculture does not thrive. Why? Because the soil is not ready for it. In this passage, Jesus is not just scattering seed on the soils that are ready to receive it. Jesus is scattering seed all over the place. Now, my neighbor recently seeded his front lawn. He's got, uh, there, are places, there were places in his front uh, yard that were just dirt. And his guys are out there throwing seed, and you're thinking, I, I, that's probably pretty useless. Seed is not going to grow there. And here we are just a month later. The grass is thick, and the grass is growing. The grass is coming up. You just never know where seed is going to take root. Now, here's what I have. I have a conviction. I, I had this conviction that that's how God also intends for us to spread the seed of the gospel. I had this conviction that you never know where the seed of the gospel is going to grow. And I also have this conviction, listen to me, that God wants the seed of his gospel to go everywhere we can get it to go. And there are seeds of the gospel right now, today, even today, that are being spread in places around the world that we would think, you know what, that's not fertile ground. The gospel's not going to grow in those places. There are places that seem to be places that are not fertile ground for the gospel. They're hard soil. They're rocky soil. Today, my pastor from Atlanta preaches every single day to millions of people in the Middle East. He preaches the gospel on TV to millions of people in the Middle East. You would say, in the Middle East, that's not fertile ground. The Middle East is rocky soil. The Middle East is hard soil. The gospel's not going to take root in those places. But I want to remind you this morning that I Iran is one of the fastest growing places for Christianity in the world. We just don't ever know where the seed of the gospel is going to take root. In our first service this morning, we had a, a lady who's here. She's sitting on the second row with her husband. And she came to faith in Christ a year and a half ago from Iran. She's loving Jesus, faithfully serving Jesus. We just don't know where the seed is going to take root, even here in California. People who don't live in California and other states not named California would look at our state and they would say, you know, that's probably not a, a fertile place to plant a church. Why don't you just come to Alabama? Why don't you just go down to Florida? Why don't you just stay in Atlanta and plant a church? Because California is not going to produce a, and yield a good crop when the gospel is preached. But listen to me, God doesn't sow seed like a laser. God just doesn't throw the seed of the gospel in places and that, that he knows this, the gospel is going to, to, to be fertile here. God doesn't have to spread the gospel that way. Why? Because he has an unlimited supply of seed. And I believe God wants us to spread the gospel everywhere we can get to. I believe he wants us to cover the earth with the gospel. And I think that's what we see here in this passage. 
I think we see that here. The seed is sown in all sorts of soil. You may say, well, that just sort of seems wasteful, Pastor Matt. You may think, well, it just, it just feels wasteful for us to spend our time sowing the seed to certain subcultures in our culture. Pastor, it's, 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 it seems wasteful to sow the seed of the gospel in Hollywood. They're not going to be very responsive. Pastor, it just seems wasteful to sow the seed of the gospel uh, towards people who identify a certain way. Pastor, it seems wasteful to sow the seed of the gospel in, into certain subgroups in our culture. You may think the sowing of seed in some of those places is wasteful, but can I say to you this morning, it's never wasteful to sow the seed of the gospel. It's graceful. It's full of grace. It's graceful. Why? The message of the gospel, the message of Jesus is an inclusive message. What do you mean? It means whosoever will come to Jesus may come. It's also an exclusive message, meaning that Jesus is the only way. And we sow seed in inclusive places, inviting people to come to Jesus. And that's the message that we carry. It's full of grace. It's full of grace. It has an infinite supply. It can be scattered anywhere, any day, everywhere, anytime. And by the way, it can also bear fruit in the places where we least expect it. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Just think about what's happening here. If you've been with us over this series, Jesus is scattering the seed of the gospel, not just to his disciples. He's scattering the seed of the gospel to the crowds. He's scattering the seed of the gospel to the destitute, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the sinners. Jesus is scattering the seed of the gospel everywhere. Doesn't he know where it's going to be most fruitful? Absolutely he does. God knows who's going to respond to it. He also knows who's not going to respond to it. But, the, but what we see in this passage is that God is going to scatter seed all over the place. That's grace. That's graceful. So I want to encourage us. I, I just hope that we're a church that will, that will always scatter seed all over this city. We'll be a church that preaches the gospel all over this city. You know, it seems like such an inefficient way to, 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 to build things and to do things. And that's exactly what Paul said would happen in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Whenever the message of the gospel is preached, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 18, it goes all the way through verse 25, and he explains the idea. He says when the gospel is preached, people are going to think that it's foolishness. That's the word he used. Actually, the Greek word is morea. It's where we get the, our English word moron. People look at us and they think, wow, what morons, right? And, and so even today, I, I, would imagine, I, I would imagine you have people in your life, maybe even your neighbors who saw you, who saw you get in your car today in, in the midst of the rain, headed off to church. Maybe you have coworkers who know that you go to church on Sunday mornings and they probably say, that just, that, that just seems, that just seems kind, of, kind of wasteful. It seems like an incredible waste of time to go spend an hour, hour and a half with people to sing songs, to, to listen to a message for 30 or 40 or 45 minutes every single Sunday morning. What an incredible waste of time. There are people all around us who would think that. In fact, GQ magazine, I, I don't read it. I don't make a habit of reading it, but I just found it whenever I uh, was, was preparing this message this morning. In an article two years ago, April 19, 2018, the article was titled, 21 Books You Don't Have to Read. And number 12 was the Bible. And they said, instead of reading the Bible, you should read 
the notebook. I don't want to put the notebook on blast. Nothing wrong with the notebook. I have a friend who was in the notebook, but listen to what the article said about the Bible. They said the Holy Bible is rated highly by all the people who supposedly live by it, but who in actuality have not read it. Ouch. Those who have read it know that there are some good parts, but overall it is certainly not the finest thing that man has ever produced. Maybe you've never actually practiced the scattering of the seed of the gospel. Maybe you've, you've, never, you've never scattered the seed of the gospel, maybe because you don't think the gospel is going to take root into the places in your life and to the friends that you know. Maybe, maybe we should just scatter seeds, Pastor Matt, in places we know it's going to be more fruitful. Maybe we just scatter seeds in the hospitals where people are, are about to go home. Maybe we should just scatter seed in, in homeless shelters where people have a desperate and destitute need. Maybe, maybe we should just scatter seed back in the South where people are more receptive to the Bible. Please don't miss something incredible in this passage today. Jesus tells a parable about seed being scattered in all of these places. I wish I could tell you the story about my friend Alan. Alan, who got involved in the porn industry, actively involved in the pornographic industry, got saved out of the porn industry, and God changed his life. I wish I could tell you the story of my pastor friend, Chris, who grew up in a gang, got saved out of a gang life, and now he preaches the gospel to people. I wish I could tell you the story about my friend Tony, who, who was born of an attic. He bounced around to orphanages and today has preached the gospel to millions of people all over the world. I wish I could tell you the story of my friend Jose from Venezuela, a phenomenal baseball player, wanted to come to the United States to play baseball. God saved his life out of a life pursuing other things. And just recently, over a thousand soldiers have come to faith in Christ on his military base where he's the chaplain. You just never know where the seed of the gospel is going to take root. And Jesus is telling us this parable here. He's telling us this parable about sowing the seed of the gospel everywhere. Do you know the reality is soils, people's hearts are hard everywhere. It's in every community, in every neighborhood, and in every city, and in every country. The soil of people's hearts are hard everywhere. And until we do the work of, of digging up the soil and tilling up the soil and fertilizing the soil with the seed of the gospel, listen, the reality is hearts are hard everywhere. Can I just cause you to be introspective for just a moment? Can you think of someone in your life right now? Can you think of someone in your life right now that, you know what, if there were no barriers in your life, if you had the boldness, if you had the courage, if there were no mental barriers to you thinking, you know what, if I sowed the seed of the gospel in this person's life, they're never going to receive it. It's never going to grow up. It's never going to bear fruit. If there were no barriers in your life today, in fact, I would go a step further and say, if you knew the gospel was going to take root in somebody's life, their life was going to be changed, their home was going to be transformed. If there were no barriers today, who are the people in your life where you would go and scatter seed? Who are they? No, 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 no. No, really. Who are they? Do you think of someone right now? In our community group this past week, we went around and, and we ended by 
talking about and just saying the initials or the name of someone that we're just praying that the gospel would take root. And I'm kind of doing a circuit of community groups this semester. And so I didn't know when I was going to be back. And so he was like, just give us one. And I'm like, well, here's my eight because I don't know when I'm going to be back, but here's who I'm praying for. But who would you, who would you go to? Who are these people for you? You know, maybe you can just say them out loud. You can say the initials in your head. You can put them in your phone this morning, but who would you scatter seed to if there were no barriers in your own life? And you really believe the gospel was going to take root. Who would it be? I just hope this morning that you, if you're a believer, there is somebody that comes to your mind when we say that. Why? Because this is what the Bible says, Acts 13, 47. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. The Bible also says in Mark 16, 15, and Jesus said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Because the Bible also says in Matthew 5, 15 and 16, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, you should let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Because Romans chapter 10, verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Because Matthew 5, 14 says, you are the light of the world and a city set on a hill cannot be hidden because Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Who would you go to today? Who would you scatter seed to today if there were no barriers in your life and you genuinely believe the gospel is going to take root in their life? Now, I wanted to emphasize the scattering of the seed before we get to these four soils. And I'm going to jump through these four soils here pretty quickly. But I wanted to emphasize the scattering of the seed. Most preaching on this text will, will just blow right into these four soils and describing how people receive the gospel. But I, want to, I wanted to pause here because, because why? Because we already have enough excuses not to scatter seed. And when we read the four soils, we just have another reason not to scatter seed because we see three out of four of them, the seed doesn't take. I want us to be a church that scatters the seed. So Jesus is going to explain the four basic responses when the word of God is taught. And we find the first one in verse 12. This is Jesus explaining the parable he just taught. Verse 12, those along the path, I call this the soil beside the road. This is, this is the hard heart. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and they may not be saved. And so this is the first way people respond when gospel seed is sown. Jesus describes them as having a hard heart. In other words, the devil takes away the word. The enemy takes away an understanding. The enemy takes away the hearing of the word. And these are people who don't respond to the word at all. Now, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time there because I believe this is self-explanatory. Jesus translates the meaning of the second soil in verse 13. I call this the rocky soil, the shallow heart. Verse 13 says this, those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root and they believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. So these are people who hear the gospel 
and they receive it initially with enthusiasm, and, and it sort of seems to stick, and they're really moved by it. But for whatever reason, something happens, and the soil is too shallow, and there is no root, and the gospel doesn't bear fruit. Now, I see this all the time in youth ministry. I still preach to student camps every single summer, but in youth ministry, it's not a joke, but it's sort of it's an understanding. I don't know why. It just happens like this. But when you host summer camp, and some of you guys have been in youth ministry environments, the last night of summer camp is cry night. It's the cry session. And you get all the way through summer camp and you're tired and you're exhausted and you, you have this build up to the last night of camp. And if you're like, a, you know, like a veteran camp attender, you just know I'm not making any decisions the first four days. I'm going to wait till the last day and I'm going to have the cry session and I'm going to come down to the front. I'm going to commit my life to Jesus. I'm going to stop listening to that music. I'm going to go on missions. I'm going to be a missionary. I'm going to be a pastor. And the last night is the cry session when everybody gets saved and everybody's life transforms. And then an hour and a half later, nothing lasts. You know, the reason for that is oftentimes we're not responding to God, we're responding to a feeling. And that's what Jesus is sort of describing here. When the feeling disappears, the commitment fades away. But here's the challenge. What, what's so hard about this is that, is that, is that it looks so convincing in the beginning. People come and they hear the word, and the Bible says they're enthusiastic about receiving. It looks so convincing that something is happening in their life. Now, I believe the Bible teaches this, and we at Story City believe it, that once you are saved, you are always saved. So how do we deal? I mean, what's the situation when somebody makes a decision and, and, and they seem committed to Christ, but they're no longer committed to Christ? What's that situation? Well, first of all, neither you nor I are the referee of anybody's heart. <laughs> but one of the signs of genuine saving faith, and this is how the Bible describes it, is that it endures to the end. It goes all the way. It, it lasts. And the people who Jesus are talking about here in the second soil, these are people who, who are under spiritual pressure, pressure to sin very specifically. The pressure in the next uh, soil is going to be different, but this pressure, Jesus says, is a pressure to sin. And so the rocks in the soil that Jesus mentioned here are the temptations of life. You understand the temptations of life. Maybe you've never heard it verbalized like this, but 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 says, the temptations of life are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We can trace all of our sin back to those three temptations. And so Jesus says here in this passage, the people in this soil who receive it enthusiastically but fade away, are under the pressure of sin. You understand this. You understand how temptations can choke out the life that God intends for you. It's often said, sin will take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. It'll cost you more than you want to pay. And this is what's happening here in this soil. And I just want to say to us this morning, if you're sort of flirting with with sin and you're flirting with faith, can I just say to you, in the end, sin will win. Sin just has that, that pressure. It can exact this pressure on your heart. It can exact this pressure on your affections. And if your affections aren't rooted in Jesus and your will is not surrendered to the, to, the, to the bearing down on your soul of the Holy Spirit, then sin will win every single time. 
Now, can I just say to you, while it's true that, that once you're saved, you're always saved, it's also true that once you're saved, listen, you forever follow. That's what the Bible teaches us. Saving faith has this enduring faith. One of the signs of saving faith is that it goes deep enough that it's going to last your entire life. But Pastor, I know somebody who grew up in church, and I think they have faith, but, but can't you backslide? I mean, that, that's a good church where, like, can't you wander into sin? Absolutely, that's possible. King David is the best example of that for us. You know the story of King David. King David cheated on his wife. King David then proceeds to murder the, the husband of the woman he cheated with. And then he goes on to lie about the entire thing. But what about that situation? Can't you backslide? Absolutely you can. But listen, God brought King David back. You can only wander so long and so far in your sin until eventually God brings you back. And if Jesus has saved you, that's a big church word. Jesus has redeemed you. He's restored your soul. He's given you relationship with him. If Jesus has genuinely done that, you may fall into sin from time to time. But the Bible tells us you'll always come back to intimacy with Jesus. That's not what we see here in this soil. But then there's a third soil, and I call it the thorny soil. It's the, it's the divided heart. And Jesus explains this soil in verse 14. He says, the seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked with life's worries. They're choked with riches and they're choked with pleasures and they do not mature. Now, please lean in here for just a moment. I believe this is the most dangerous soil of all. Those in this soil, they hear the word. Those in this soil believe the word. And those in this soil want to follow Jesus, and they're not doing anything that's necessarily sinful. They're just enjoying life. They're just enjoying life. There are other things that, are, that feel more important to them in life, and so the word gets choked out by what? By what Jesus says, life's worries, by riches, and by pleasures. The word just gets put on a shelf while life is in joy. Now, can we just confirm and affirm this morning that life is enjoyable? That's the way God intended for it to be. Life is enjoyable. There's so many wonderful blessings that God gives us in life, so many wonderful things to see, so many wonderful things to eat, so many wonderful blessings that God gives to us, and they're intended to be enjoyed. I personally think here in Los Angeles, we have the best of all worlds. I wrote this in my notes this morning, but it can't be true today, so just believe it to be true. But, but we have the best of all worlds when it comes to our weather, don't we? Don't just forget what's going on out there right now. Like seven people came up to me afterwards because it hadn't started raining yet. And I talked about the sunshine, how we have sunshine every day. And isn't it amazing? And the sunshine never hinders our pleasures. We can do whatever we want. It only enhances our life. And I get outside and it's literally hailing outside. But, but it's genuinely true. 98% of the time, I'm going to wake up. And guess what? I don't even need to look at the weather app. It's 70 and sunny. It's going to be awesome. Here in Los Angeles, we have the best of both worlds. I can go skiing. Not today, but maybe tomorrow in, Great, in Big Bear. I can come and sit on the beach in the afternoon. I can go on a hike and have beautiful views 
of all of Los Angeles when I hike Runyon Canyon. I can bike, I can hike, I can go to movies and, and see a celebrity. I mean, God's just given us so many wonderful things here in our city, and there's so many things that fight for our time. And listen to me, hear me, there are things that are not inherently sinful. God gave them to us, and He meant for us to enjoy them. But please hear me. When pleasure takes over our lives and takes the place of God in our lives, then Jesus would say, those things have become thorns and they choke out the life that God wants for you. And so I imagine people in this soil or people who actually come to church, actually maybe even enjoy coming to church and they're even intrigued by the word and the messages that are, that are preached, and they maybe even they sing the songs, but when service is over, something happens, and as soon as they leave church, they, just life happens. They, there's bills to pay, right? There, there's, there's kids to raise. There's money to make. Their kids maybe play on a traveling sports team, and so church, it's not the highest priority. It's a, sort of a priority, but not the highest priority, and there's destinations that we want to go see, and there's, there's people that we want to go see, and so they just enjoy nature. Maybe they got ski passes at Big Bear, and so, and so it's just not a, a, a top-shelf priority of being under the Word. Are you struggling this morning? surrendering to what God wants to do in your life, to what Jesus is doing in your life because of what Jesus calls the worries, the riches, the pleasures in our life. Be reminded that these are people that that don't necessarily have life-inhibiting sin in their life. They're just so busy with life, and God doesn't have priority. They just don't have time for God. Always on vacation. Always have a project going on. Always have a pleasure to fulfill. Always have a destination to visit. There's no time for God. There's no time for His people. There's no time for His Word. And it may not even be a a conscious decision to reject God. God, God's Word just gets crowded out by, by other good things in life. And can I say to us this morning, and when there are no time for these things, there's no room for the gospel to bear fruit in your life. And I believe this is the most dangerous place to be. I believe this is the most dangerous place to be because here's the deal. These things are not in and of themselves sinful. And in fact, in our culture, we would, we, would probably, we would probably not look at them as something that's dangerous to us. We would look at them as probably something that's the opposite. There's something that actually they make our lives better. And this is a dangerous place to be. Why? Because only Jesus can take that rightful place in your life. Only Jesus can sit on that throne. And it's dangerous because pleasures can be addicting, right? Pleasures can be enjoyable. Pleasures can be desirable. And pleasures can have this, this, this pressure on us to believe this is not actually a bad thing. This is actually making my life better. But can I say to you, pleasure is a dead end road. The idol of pleasure will never ultimately fulfill you. It will never fulfill you. And there may be some of you on the fringe this morning who 
been around church and been around Jesus, and you're trying to process that statement this morning, and it probably makes you a little mad, may even make you a little bit angry when you hear that, because you know your life has been filled with trying to seek pleasure, and maybe this morning, maybe you just made time for God, and we're grateful that you're here, and maybe you're having difficulty processing this very thing, and you don't yet understand that the life that God wants to give you, to fulfill you, to bring joy, is not found in the things that choke out the Word of God your life. One pastor, in fact, said, distraction sends more people to hell than doubt or defiant disobedience. So where's the balance, pastor? You know, in the New Testament, the Bible tells us that they met every day in homes. They met every day to sit under the apostles' teaching. They met every day for fellowship. They met every day for prayer. Every day. I'm not saying that's the answer to us this morning. In fact, I don't even know if that's possible in our culture today. But the fruit of what was happening in the New Testament was that the Bible said they literally turned the world upside down when they made time for Jesus. I just want to say to you this morning, if this is where you are, you cannot produce spiritual fruit when you eat one meal a week. You need a diet of the Word. You need a diet every single day. And just may I ask this morning, what do you need to do to move in that direction? Please don't let the pleasures of life crowd out the abundant life that God wants for you. Now let's look at the fourth soil and we're going to close. I call this the good soil. It's the open heart. It's the place where God wants all of us to be. Verse 15, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and a good heart who hear the word, who retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. And so in a parable, Jesus here is going to describe this person as a, as a soul and as a heart that is fertile ground. And so seed is sown into this heart. And Jesus says when the seed is sown into this type of heart, there's a hundredfold produce. There's a hundredfold return. Now, if you're an investor or you put your money anywhere, you want a hundredfold return. Commentators will tell us that it's typical that when seed is sown, that, that it would produce somewhere between eight to ten times in return. And so when Jesus says, when the gospel seed is sown into this heart and it produces a crop a hundredfold, listen, this is nothing short of miraculous. Now listen to me. This is where I want to encourage you, even though the title of the sermon this morning may not have sounded encouraging. But this is what happens when we allow the gospel and God's word to shape us. It's powerful. We'll never be the same. We can't be the same when we have a heart and a soil that's ready to receive the gospel. Why? Because God's word is powerful. When God speaks, something miraculous happens. How do you know? Because the Bible tells us, Psalm 33, 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. Psalm 33, 9, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Genesis 1, 3, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. It's impossible for the word of God to come into a heart that's constantly nurturing the soul of your life and the soil of your heart. It's impossible for God's word to come into a heart that's constantly repenting of sin. We talked about that in last week's message. Constantly reminded of the things that separate us in our relationship with God. It's impossible for God's word to come into a heart that's not being drawn away 
by our pleasures, but it's being drawn toward in our affections towards Jesus. It's impossible for God's word to come into a heart like that and nothing miraculous happens. When God's word comes into a heart like that, you have to be changed. You must be changed. You can't stay the same. That's the encouragement to you this morning. That's the encouragement to to be the soil that's prepared and tilled up and is ready for the fertilization of, of the seed of the gospel to change you, to give you the miraculous life that you desire. Those of you this morning who are wrestling through your the pleasures of life, and the riches of life. You may not know by experience. You just need to know by teaching this morning that will eventually hopefully propel you to obedience to understand this is the place you want to be. How do I get there? Well, first of all, if the Bible is going to take root, if God's word is going to take root, it has to be heard. You got to hear the word. You got to hear The word, you need to hear the word. If you're not hearing the word, the word can't be fruitful. And I promise you, you'll never experience this miraculous life that that you've been asking for. You hear me say this often in our church, but the Bible is the loudest voice in our church. It's not only the loudest voice in our church, but our desire is that it becomes the loudest voice in your life. When the Bible becomes the loudest voice in your life and the soil of your heart is ready to receive it, listen to me. It's the life you've been desiring. You can't change. You can't resist that change. So what should I do? You need to hear the Word. You need to listen to the Word. There's so many ways we can hear the Word of God today. I was just talking with a friend after the service. He said, do you know this ministry? I said, absolutely, I know this ministry. We've supported this ministry in Iran. That ministry in Iran literally smuggles Bibles into the country where people don't have the Bible, where people aren't hearing the word. They smuggle them in literally by the thousands and hundreds of thousands. Why? So people can hear the word. And here in Los Angeles, there's so many ways to hear the word. You can listen to it on the way to work. You know, the Bible app will literally... It'll just, it'll just speak it to you. <laughs> you can listen to a preaching podcast. You can read it on your lunch break. You have to hear the word. But secondly, if the word is going to produce fruit, the soil of your heart has to be ready to receive it. Are you reminding yourself of the sin that's separating you and your relationship from God? Are you repenting of that sin? Are you turning your affections away from the pleasures of the world? Are you turning your affections to Jesus and allowing the Spirit of the living God to shape you? Are you obeying the Word? This is the miraculous life you desire. But so few of us ever see it because we won't allow our hearts to be prepared to receive it and much less sit under it. Let me just bow your heads, close your eyes. I want to close us out. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing a song or two. And I just want to close our time together. I want to remind us of a very pointed quote from even a secular magazine. The Holy Bible is rated highly by all the people who supposedly live by it, but who in actuality have not read it. 
Which soil are you this morning? Are you the kind of soil that's never had interest? The kind of soil that's never responded to the gospel? Are you the kind of soil maybe that's heard it? Maybe even you've received it, but sin has won the day. Or are you the kind of soil this morning that has received the gospel with enthusiasm, but pleasure in your life has choked it out? Or maybe finally this morning, maybe you're just ready to receive the gospel. Maybe you're ready to receive the word of God. Maybe you're really ready to receive it. And maybe you're saying today, God, I'm ready. Make my heart the soil where the word can grow. And lastly, here in this passage, the seed is the word of God. But if you read the Bible, Jesus is also referred to as the seed. Jesus was the seed that was sown into the soil of death for you. How do you respond to that message this morning? Are you ready to receive it? If you've never received Jesus for salvation, can I just say to you, every single weekend, we want people to do that. It's our prayer that people place their faith in Jesus. The Bible tells us that when we believe in our heart, speak with our mouth, Bible says, not we can be, ought to be, might be, we will be saved. If you've never received the word this morning and been saved, we'd love to help you walk through what that looks like. Down front, after the service, Marco's down front, my right, your left. You can't miss him. He'd love to help you understand what it means to receive the word for salvation. But maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're a Christian this morning. You want your heart to be the good soil that receives the word and the word takes root. And maybe this morning you you just need to pray with someone that the word would take root. Friend, a family member, somebody sitting beside you. And then finally, maybe you're here this morning and you just want to pray for someone. You want to pray for someone that this week, the person you're praying for, the person that There are barriers in your life to believing that the gospel can take root. Maybe you want to pray for that person this week that they would be receptive to the word. Maybe you speaking the word personally to them or at the very least, maybe them being receptive to an invitation to next weekend. Maybe you just want to pray for someone this morning that they would be receptive to the gospel. Finally, maybe you just want to pray for yourself. Pray for yourself that you would By the Spirit of the living God, all barriers would be removed to you believing that God can do what you have up until now believed to be impossible. Jesus, thank you for your word this morning. It's good. It's good for life. God, I pray that all of us in this auditorium, those listening online, God, would receive this word. By the Spirit of the living God, you would internalize the word convince us that it is the best path to life and joy and happiness. God, will you convict us and convince us of the sin in our life and the pleasures that we're seeking? Instead, we would turn our affections to you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.